um, the St. Francis Lutheran Church at Church and Market, and most of you guys know that. But um, it's, it's, I'm really grateful to be able to do this this morning for you guys, um, for us. And uh, so this is uh, how it goes. Um, welcome to the Each Day a New Beginning of a Meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Raul, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and your secretary for this meeting. At this time, by group conscious, I'm asking everyone to turn off their cell phones. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. <clears throat> Let's open the meeting with a moment of silence to do with as you wish, by this, uh, followed by the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, I've asked a friend to read How It Works from Chapter 5 of the AA Big Book. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those, too, who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, that God could and would if he were sought. Thank you, Karen.
Um, let's recite the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. It's the custom of this group that we go around and introduce, and introduce ourselves. Please feel free to introduce yourself as a newcomer or a visitor if you wish. A newcomer is usually defined as anyone in their first 30 days of sobriety or someone just out of a recovery program. My name's Raul and I'm an alcoholic. We'll start Hi Raul. Here. I'm Chris, I'm alcoholic. Hey Chris. I'm your alcoholic. I'm Laura. I'm Adam. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Julie alcoholic. I'm Julie. Hi, Karen. Good morning. I'm Ron. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ron. I'm Tommy, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Hi, Tommy. I'm Christina. I'm alcoholic. Hi, Christina. Kim, alcoholic. Hi, Kim. Just thing on James, alcoholic. <laughs> Hi, James. <laughs> I'm Pamela, alcoholic. Hi, Pamela. Hi, I'm Bill. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Bill. Jose, alcoholic. Hi, Jose. Spencer, alcoholic, plus, plus, plus. Spencer, hi. My name is Jess, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Jess. My name is Josh, I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Josh. Good morning, Keith, addict alcoholic. Keith. Hi, Keith. Uh, Susie, alcoholic. Hi, Susie. Uh, Harry, alcoholic. ID. Good morning, I'm Chuck, alcoholic. Hey, Chuck. <laughs> Mary, alcoholic. Hi, Mary. I'm Joanne, alcoholic. Hi, Joanne. I'm Joe. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Joe. Hi, Silvio. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the purpose of the 7 a.m. meeting is to give AA members an opportunity to start their day with a rededication to sobriety and to a spiritual way of life and to help the alcoholic who still suffers. This is not a meeting devoted so much toward living, reliving the past as... Uh, this is sorry. This is not a meeting devoted so much toward living, reliving the past as toward developing the appropriate attitudes for living this particular day successfully. I swear I've heard that a hundred times. I said. <laughs> Uh, please keep your participation relatively brief, three to four minutes, so that as many members as possible may have the opportunity to speak. The things you will hear here are spoken in confidence and should be treated as such, as confidential, sorry. Keep them within the walls of this room and the confines of your mind. Carry no gossip and always remember to place principles before personalities. Uh, in keeping with the spirit of the first tradition of AA, which states, our common welfare should come first, personal recovery depends on AA unity. Our group conscience requests that if you've had a drink or a non-prescribed mind-altering drug within the last 24 hours that you do not share at group level, but that you talk with someone after the meeting. Also, in keeping with the first tradition, there is no crosstalk and neither harassment nor violence toward any member will be tolerated. Please stand if this is happening so that uh, we can help you. Uh, disruptions will be addressed through our group conscience. <clears throat> we have a temporary sponsors and a phone list available in this uh, red folder here. Uh, if anybody, uh, please feel free to use it. Um, this meeting will end at uh, 9.30. Are we doing the seventh tradition right now or after? Okay, so um, so it says, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm supposed to read this, I think. I already read that. Yeah. Okay. And so. Oh, yay! Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't do it alone. Um, so. Like I said, I'm super honored and grateful to see you all this morning and to be here to be of service. Um, when I walked in, um, <laughs> he told me that, that Pamela was speaking and I got so excited. Um, I, I really like Pamela a lot. I don't really know her that well and I've never heard her story, but um, thank you for being of service to Living Sober and everything you've done. Um, so here's Pamela. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, I'm Pamela and I'm an alcoholic. 
and I'm not quite awake yet, so you're just going to have to give me a little bit of a pass. Uh, thank you so much, Roel. Um, so my sobriety date is October 23, 2017, and um, I'm coming up on two years, and uh, in the last um, 10, I'm sorry, 10, 12, 22 months, uh, my life has uh, shifted about 180 degrees. Um, I came into the rooms broken. It would not appear from the outside that maybe I was broken, but on the inside I knew I was broken. I knew that uh, my life was going down this dark hole that very much resembled a dark hole that I'd gone down when I was a, a teenager, a young adult that I'd managed to climb out of for periods of time while I, I don't know, either got a degree or pursued some athletic uh, interest or um, for periods of time just got a little bit better by mainly focusing on some goal. But in reality, uh, every time that goal was achieved, what happened was that I went back to feeling that not good enough feeling, feeling that I don't belong feeling, feeling that um, disconnected feeling, disconnected from life, disconnected from my soul even. Um, I used to have dreams that um, my soul was dark and just being carried away from me. And I'd wake up and realize that it was uh, a very big sign about how I felt about my life. And like I said, it wouldn't appear that from the outside. I had a kid, uh, I was doing okay in my career, but on the inside I was just bacon. Uh, so just let me backtrack a little bit and, and tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up uh, overseas um, in Japan and then Alaska and um, I can tell you Japanese nursery rhymes if you'd like. Um, okay, never mind. <laughs> but, um, and that was all very fun and exciting, and I, I loved uh, just, I don't know, I, I loved being in a place that didn't have rules. Um, and Alaska was very much like that. You know, I was, on a, I was on a boys basketball team, I was on a boys baseball team. They didn't have girls, so I just signed up for YMC boy, and boys, and you know, it was fun. It was hard when I moved to Texas at 16 and was put on a girls basketball team, and oh my God, they don't allow fouls like boys do. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I kind of knew that something was wrong when I was a kid. Uh, and um, I remember uh, like being in Alaska and, and sitting next to my best friend and looking at his, his knee and then looking at my knee and we were on the side of a house and he was wearing shorts, I was wearing shorts and uh, I was like, I, my knee should look like yours. Like his was square and it was, mine was round. I'm like, something's fucked up here. Like my knee should look like yours. And um, and I remember feeling that sense of, I, I'm not even in the right body. Like, this is so fucked up. And, um, and then feeling like uh, my parents can't know that I like girls, much less that I don't even feel like I'm in the right body. Um, turns out, not only was I right, but when I was 16 and they found out that I was gay and sent me away, and there was a lot of religious mumbo jumbo and speaking in tongues, and my God, you could fool those people. You can act like you're speaking in tongues and they won't even know. Uh, a lot of like uh, electric stuff going through heads and conversion, and um, if you don't die, uh, you come out of that and you know that your parents didn't quite like the fact that you were gay. And the things that that does to a human being, uh, I, I don't even know that I fully comprehend. When I tell this story, I tell it as if it's from somebody else. I don't, it, it's that kind of a thing. But I will tell you this, that this program has allowed me to feel that pain. Because I think part of the distance, part of the thing that I was so disconnected from was me. Like I couldn't even feel me because I couldn't imagine that that was my life. Um, so when I first got sober, I went into a little bit of a depression. Um, 
I was sad a lot. And um, I needed to do that. I needed to see a therapist. I needed to understand that uh, that life is still okay and that I am still okay and that there is a higher power, however you describe that or however I describe that, that made life okay and made me okay. Um, so I, I went through a lot of the pain and I felt a lot of the pain and I started to be able to sense that I had feelings. It may sound silly, but like even today, if I get mad, I don't know for three days. Like it's like, what? <laughs> I was actually, I was talking to a coach yesterday and, and we were talking about a situation and she said, how did that make you feel? I'm like, what? Feel? Like, I really didn't know. And I had to go back, I'm like, I guess that made me upset. But like just that knowledge of feeling like you have feelings is kind of a new one for me. Um, my son, he's, he just got married last weekend and I went to the wedding and I walked him down the aisle or he walked me, I don't know who walks who, but, and then he sat me down and, uh, and, and then she walks in and he, he looks at her in the dress for the first time and he just lights up and I, I was just like, wow, this is like magic. But um, that's only possible because of this program. My son and I, for the last two years, have become so incredibly close. And he actually said, uh, he used to have this joke about me that he wasn't born, that he was wheeled out of me. I, I happen to be in tech, so a little bit left-brained already, but he would argue that I was robotic. Um, I had spreadsheets for what we would do on weekends and stuff, like, that's okay. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Uh, but, <laughs> but I would say that I've been able to become more emotional with him, more in touch with talking about feelings and how he feels. And that kind of relationship and bond with him means the world to me. I wasn't able to do that with my parents. But I have been able to tell them that um, I'm not available. And that's enough. Uh, so what it's like now. Uh, I'm involved in living sober and quite honestly, it has kept me sober. Yep. I, uh, my home group is the 7 a.m. meeting uh, that is at the Lady of Safeway. And I try to go there. Well, in my first 90 days, I went 90 and 90, sometimes more than that. In my first year, I got laid off from a job, a job that I was brought out here for from New York City. I thought I was some big wig, you know, like, oh yeah, I'm this and this and this. And then they laid me off. I'm like, aren't I important? Like, can't you, how can you do this? Um, so there's a little bit of an ego adjustment with that, which was really nice in sobriety because it's like, you know, when you come into these rooms, everybody's equal. Nobody gave a shit who I was. Nobody gave a shit what degrees or title or whatever. And honestly, the only thing that that's important to me is that when I'm in the rooms, people see me as another alcoholic. And they can hear me as another alcoholic. And they relate to me as another alcoholic. And this family that I've created or that, that I've made these connections, these people that care about me, uh, they're more to me than my blood family ever will be. Um, so I was going to say something and I totally blinked on it, but what? It's the lights. It is the lights. Um, <laughs> So, oh yeah, so in my, in my first 90 days, yeah, I, got, I, I did get laid off. And then um, the thing I was going to say about that, this, this whole thing about attitude adjustment, I've heard that in the rooms and I, I didn't ever really understand what that meant. But I'll give you an example of something that, that happened recently that I thought was kind of interesting. And it was subtle. It was like all of these things in the rooms that I feel is, is just these subtle little shifts. And if I were still drinking, I wouldn't catch them. That's the important thing. Like if I were still drinking, I wouldn't notice the, the subtle little ways my brain is starting to notice my thoughts, which are like clouds that pass and they come and they go. And I, like if I could just hold off from getting attached to that thought just for a minute, then I'll notice that it's just a thought. It's not real, really. But I was having this thing at work where I was getting a little resentful that I was having to work so much. Like, 
but they pay me, so why? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I was starting to feel like, oh, you know, why can't I go in at nine after I work out and then leave at five? And, you know, a little bit of the poor me thing. And, um, and I started doing this experiment uh, to say, why don't I just show up and do my best and think that's the job, that's the goal, do my best. And so I had a couple of long nights because there were some things that some some things that needed done and, and maybe somebody didn't do everything that I thought they should do, whatever. It didn't matter. So I stayed up a while uh, for a couple of nights and got it done and then somebody else like presented and that's all fine. But it felt so good, it felt so fucking good to not be poor me, but to do my job and go to bed tired as hell, but I knew the job was done. And that kind of shift, like, that's a miracle. Like, you can't pay me enough to have that kind of feeling that I go to bed at night and I am tired as sh Anyway, I'm tired and I know the job is done and I know I did my best. And showing up, showing up is the reward. It's not a duty. Showing up is the reward. That's the gift. And that's kind of how I'm feeling about the program. It's not like I show up and I get something. Showing up is it. And if I could just remember things like that, then life is golden. Life won't be easy. I, I know my parents are going to die. I know I'm going to die. From the moment I'm born, I'm dying, I think is the thing. Um, I heard this thing and I told Tommy earlier today that uh, there was a, some podcast I was listening to and um, the guy said, when you're, when you're future tripping, uh, it's like when, you remember the old cassettes and you hit fast forward? Like, that's like future tripping. And you hit rewind, that's like playing the past again. And he said, you know, you don't hear the music unless you just hit play. You can't hear the music if you're future tripping or in the past. So uh, I like hearing the music today. I feel like maybe it's the first time I'm hearing the music. It's pretty badass. So uh, that's all I got. Thank you for letting me share. Amazing. <laughs> so good. Um, so now right. you go to four. Wait. Oh, now we do the seven tradition. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we will now practice the seven tradition. The money we collect is used to pay our expenses, which include rent, literature, chips, and contributions to central office and general service. We also collect money in the pink banded containers, but we're probably not going to do that today. But. Um, while we're doing this, uh, Adam will read the 12 traditions. Hi, Adam Alcoholic. These are the 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for a group purpose there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself. Uh, in our group conscious. Our, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain for, forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 
11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Um, thank you, Adam. <clears throat> also, uh, uh, please keep the meeting room clean. Please wipe up any spills of food and beverage. Um, uh, smoking is allowed, but outside the hotel. Um, let's see. Um, all right. So now Pamela will pick a topic for today's discussion. As a reminder, please keep your share brief, three to four minutes, so that as many members may have a chance to speak. Do you want to pick a topic? Do you have a topic chosen? Yes. Um, wait for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, topic is what are the subtle changes that you've noticed in your sobriety? Nice. Hi, I'm Nora Alcoholic. Hi, Nora. And uh, I just wanted to like claim my chair this weekend. I haven't really spoke or anything, um, but uh, thank you very much for your share. I got a lot out of it, and uh, particularly the the work thing. And um, don't you know who I think I am? Uh, was the biggest lesson uh, for me at work. And uh, just subtle changes, you know. It used to be, uh, for me, like I think like most of us, I thought if I had all those outside things that everything was okay. And I, too, was dying inside when I came here and I didn't know it. I had this facade my whole life. And uh, when, when I... Um, could finally be who I was intended to be. It was like the floodgates came, and you know, it was just, it was on. And uh, you know, it's been, it's been um, transformative and uh, layers of different things. And um, this year, I. Um, I just uh, had an anniversary of 19 years where I work, and that is a that's a big change and a subtle change. I mean, for me, it was like you know, I did a geographic and everything. I did job geographics, and there was so many times I wanted to leave this job, but my my uh, sponsor was like, "Stick through it, stick through it," and you know, they saw in me something in me before I saw something in me. Uh, um, you know, I grew up in this workplace. Uh, I was I wasn't sober when I started the job, and uh, I got about three more years of retirement, and I'm, I'm counting those down. And um, I just wanted to share this this miracle. I. Um, uh, because of the economy, there's been no no increases at my job, but I um, today I feel worthy of a raise. And um, even though they weren't given increases, I had to really sit down and think of my future if I wanted to stay uh, uh, where I'm working. And and so I said I I did the homework. I was very mature. I asked to speak with my director. And I said, you know, this is what I need. This is what I think I'm worth. Uh, I'm looking at retirement. And in order for me to stay, this is what I need. And she said, you know, it's very difficult because we're not giving increases, but I really value you. That's huge. For an alcoholic like me, I used to be in and out of resources like every month because you see, you were the problem out there. The company was the problem. And so she said, I'll get back to you. And uh, she did get back to me and she spoke to the regional HR and she gave me exactly what I asked for. And so it's little things like that, you know. Uh, when my mom passed away, uh, she always worried about me. Uh, and her last years of living, I was able to suit up and show up and go back to Massachusetts. And she said to me, Nora, you're not the person you used to be. And I went to my sponsor with that, and she said, no, Nora, you're the, you're the person God intended for you to be. And that's AA. Those are little things, you know. And I just want to end with this, that... Like I said, I always thought it was those outside things. I had the trophy girlfriend. I had the condo. I had the great car. And now I live in a simple studio. 
you know, low or no uphill. You know, my job is very simple but rewarding, and and uh, I don't need those things anymore. You know, um, what is more important to me is the authentic uh, relationships that I built here in AA, and the sense of peace. That's worth more than anything on the outside. So um, I'm really excited to be at this conference this week, and I love it. I just posted this morning on Facebook that I love this. To me, it's like one big love fest for the weekend. So um, I hope everybody has a great weekend. Thank you. Hi, I'm Chuck, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm really excited to have a microphone right now. <laughs> no, we don't have to stand up. Um, yeah, Pamela, thank you. It's always so nice to hear um, your share, and I got a lot out of it. Um, you know, I grew up um, as, a, as a gay kid in the South, um, and I didn't go through, uh, like, the conversion um, uh, therapy that you referred to, but I think I imposed a lot of uh, harm to myself um, by creating all these stories in my head about how people weren't going to accept accept me the way I was, and and really excluded myself. Um, when I was young, I was really outgoing, and um, when I kind of realized that I was gay, I kind of uh, went inward. So in reference to your topic of um, like uh, shifts or changes that I've noticed, it's, it's kind of like I'm becoming a kid again. Um, I have a little bit more than two years now. Um, and when I came into this program, I was like, um, I was in a shell and I didn't want to come out. I didn't know how to come out. I didn't know how to be myself. Um, and lately I feel like um, I'm that kid again that was so outgoing and doing uh, plays all the time and being creative and, and, um, and it's really nice. It's nice to kind of feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, so it's a, it's a slow changing process but, um, but it's definitely because um, I'm sober and I'm not doing all these other things to distract myself from feeling what I feel um, and, and to being able to connect to people. Um, so I think uh, that along with uh, another, may sound silly, but another huge change that I've noticed is that I can take naps now. <laughs> um, I used to never, I don't think before I got sober this time I've ever taken a nap during the day because um, the idea of me sitting with myself and being quiet was, was horrible because of all the things that would go through my mind. I had to do something to distract myself. But now I can actually lay down when I'm off and take a nap with the dog and the cat and it's a wonderful experience. So thanks again for your share. Hi, my name is Jess, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, Pamela, thank you so much for your share. It's great to hear your story. And there was an awful lot that I definitely connected to. Um, so when you, the topic being subtle changes, um, all I can think of are big changes, because I've just passed um, 100 days for my first time in the program. Um, and for me, the changes that have happened in just the first hundred days have been big changes, like waking up in the morning and before my alarm goes off and feeling like a million dollars. It's like, where did this come from? Um, but the more important change is um, I've started to trust other people. And it really started with my sponsor, um, who I was blessed to find in my very first meeting at my home group in my very first week of sobriety. Um, God's grace, I f found the right person to work with, at least for now. I hope he feels the same way. <laughs> um, but we just um, have been working through steps four and five, and boy, it took a lot of trust uh, for me to open up and and face the music. Um,
Um, so those are the <laughs> waking up feeling good and starting to trust other people again are what I am, am, am finding in my first um, steps on the journey. Thanks. Okay, uh, Susie Alcoholic. Uh, wow, wonderful to hear you. Thank you. So grateful. And uh, I, I just so related to um, that keeping the illusions up for me on the outside that everything was fine. I would get to a point where I couldn't function. I was always a C-minus functioning person just trying to get by. I was never like an overachiever. I was last picked in the baseball team, whatever. Who got stuck with the bat would be stuck with whatever. And, uh, <coughs> but, um, <coughs> what was I? <coughs> anyway, um, I, uh, um, I related to that thing of like just maintaining the illusion. I've been near the end of my drinking. I was such a, 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 a for years I was just a, you know over a decade of pretty much daily drinking and being completely out of control, a total victim and perpetrator of any and everything. So many mornings waking up with the horrible guilt and shame and the mystery bruises and uh, you know smashing a good friend's head into a wall, me being held at knife point, gun point, having a girlfriend throw a scissors at my, you know, all the craziness that goes on uh, throwing a brick at her door um, and just trying to maintain that illusion of like everything's fine on the outside. I couldn't function at jobs, I would go to graduate school I would get another graduate degree another graduate degree in, in human services so they really are looking to weed out uh, but I, I was such a daylight uh, sleeper, midnight creeper, figuring out how to manipulate everything. And uh, I, you know, I don't want to forget like one of the times I did a really successful little project, and uh, I had stopped drinking for the three weeks in a graduate school program to do it. And uh, someone said, "Oh, we got to celebrate because you were on television in the newspaper." All this bullshit. I mean, I just knew how to manipulate all the whatever. And, uh, and so I just had. I hadn't drank for three weeks to do the little one little project, and that was the night. I said, "She said, just have one champagne." And I was at one of the, the lesbian bars that I always went to. Uh, you know, two for one. We already knew which bars they were. Lesbian alcoholic nights, we used to call it, even if it was a straight bar. Two ladies drink free, whatever it was. And uh, I, I just remember that drinking that one thing of champagne, and that was the first morning that I woke up. And I didn't do this off. It was just a one time with in a wet bed. And uh, I don't want to forget all that stuff with waking with the mystery bruises and not, uh, ugh. And like, I am so grateful. It was so good to hear you. And I just figured out how to, by hook or by crook, get through and maintain that illusion that things were okay on the outside. And, ugh, I am so grateful to be sober and have a little bit of peace of mind now and not have to wake up in agony. And I, I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe it saved my life. I haven't had to drink for a lot of years. And uh, I, I pretty much go to a meeting every day. I feel fortunate there's a meeting right in the morning, a 10 o'clock meeting right near where I work and where I live. And uh, hopefully I can be of help to other people instead of like harming them to the best of my ability. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful to hear you. You helped me so much. And thanks. Pick one, Pamela. Thank you, Pamela. That was just wonderful. It was so good to hear you. Oh, I'm Karen, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I thought everybody knew. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure if I can say that much about the subtle changes, because mostly what I've noticed is the huge changes. Uh, but what I wanted to respond to is this thought that I am okay. The person I am is okay. You know, I came to um, Our Lady of the Safeway. I was 59 years old, and I remember people saying to me, uh, is this your first time? And I said, I was, I was sober in 1982 when I was pregnant. <laughs> and, and it was my first time trying to get sober. And um, I'm so grateful that 
things worked out for me the way they did. Um, my sister was living with me at the time, and I, in the end of my drinking, I wasn't able to drink normally because I was pretending I wasn't drinking. And my sister, who had not had a drink in 30 years, was living with me. And uh, what she said to me, I, 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 when I walked into Our Lady of the Safeway, I had visited AA. You know, I'd gone to, I thought I would like women's meetings, and I went to those and went to meetings downtown just to get my family off my back. And But when I walked into Our Lady of the Safeway, I felt comfortable in there. I felt like I had come back to the stud, you know, <laughs> 40 years later, and everybody was younger and, so, and sober. And it was just, it was so amazing. But um, I, I remember my sister saying to me after I'd been going to AA and I'd been at Kaiser and I was sober for about two months, and she said, Karen, you are so different. It almost makes me want to go to AA. And she still doesn't go, although she's going with me to Detroit next year. But, um, but I just, I learned how to accept myself. I, I just learned that whoever I am, it's okay. And I'm so guided by AA to do the next right thing. I, I stayed with my mother last year when she was dying, and that was because of AA. That was because of recovery. And she wanted me there. And we had had a long, um, almost, you know, 70-year relationship that had been very complicated. But at the end... I was in acceptance because I could accept myself because of this. And uh, anyway, it was so great to hear you speak so eloquently and say so many important things. And you're such a quick study, as I said earlier. You, I remember right away you just seemed to understand so many things about AA. And I'm just limping along. So thanks a lot. Curtis. Hi, I'm Curtis, and I'm an alcoholic addict. And I, I want to say that because I, I, I feel like sometimes people are afraid to come out of the closet at an AA meeting, like they're going to be judged or turned away. I, you know, and so I just want to kind of, you know, I just want to put that out there. Um, so I was th- thank you, Pamela, for your share. That was so awesome, and I got so much out of that. What a powerful testimony you have! Oh, you know, it, it centered me quite a bit, and I really appreciate it. And and I love the topic you selected, the subtle changes. And the first thing that came to mind was like a subtle change, but it seemed huge at the time. Was I, I was I, I don't know how long I'd been uh, sober, but it was. A, I think it was right around two months, and I was walking down the street and I'm on an afternoon, like any other afternoon, and I just remember like sitting there, and I think I even said it out loud. I was like, has the sky always been this freaking blue? <laughs> like, I don't remember the sky being this blue. Is it really this blue? Like, was it always this color? But I, it was just like this awakening and this awareness, and I, I, I went home that night, and I was like, I, wrote, I had to write all about that. I'm like, a blue sky? They actually have blue skies. And... <laughs> Uh, and it was just, you know, but it, it felt so huge at the time. And then I, I think I'd been clean about, and so we were about six months, and uh, I'd been talking to my mom on the phone. And she stopped, like, in the middle of the conversation, and she, and I hadn't discussed anything about getting sober with my mom. She wasn't even really fully aware of, well, in my mind, I thought she was not aware, but she was obviously. But because uh, she lives thousands of miles away, but um, I hadn't discussed with her that I had gotten clean and sober. And uh, but she stopped in the middle of this conversation, and she stopped me, and she said, "I just want to say something. Um, I don't know what you're doing out there, but keep doing it because I feel like I have my son back." And um, yeah how she could tell from thousands of miles away, I don't know. Um, I guess moms know. But it, it just, it, it gave me a different perspective. And, and even my, like, there's a, there's a desk clerk at my building <laughs> uh, who grabbed me one day as I was walking by and, shh, come here, talk, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, what's that? And I go over and she goes, I just want to say, I've seen the change in you and you're doing great. Just keep it up. Keep it up. I'm like, have you been watching like what I was doing? Like, I don't know. 
spy on me. Like, you know, all those paranoid thoughts I was having were true. No. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it, and I didn't see the changes. I didn't notice the changes that were happening at the time because they were so small. They came in such small incremental changes. But over the period of time, those little changes made a big difference. And I wasn't seeing it. I didn't see the change as readily as obviously other people did. And so uh, what a great gift this program has been to me. Um, Because I actually can go home at night and lay down and, and, like you said, feel like I did my best today, and I'm good with that. So thank you so much for your share, and thank you all. Thank you. Um, My name's Bill. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for your share. Um, I went to my first Living Sober in 1987, and uh, I stayed sober for about two or three years that I went out. And I came back in in 1993, and I stayed sober for two or three years, and I went back out. And then currently my sobriety date is 2002, so hopefully that'll stick for a while. But uh, my sponsor told me that I was one of the great diggers in the history of AA, and every time I hit rock bottom, I'd yell up, somebody hand me a jackhammer, I want to go deeper. And uh, so for me... Change has happened very slowly over time, very gradually. People have pointed it out to me, but I haven't necessarily been able to see it myself. But one of the things I've always, two of the things I've always liked today, my sponsor made me, uh, he was my sponsor for 15 and a half years, he died a year ago, May, he he made me read uh, more about alcoholism and read about the jaywalker because I was the jaywalker. You know, I kept getting hit by buses and then trains and breaking my arms and my legs and ending up in traction, this, that, and the other thing. And the other thing I really related to was the spiritual experience in Appendix 2, when it talks about uh, my education being of the educational variety, happening slowly over time. And that's what's happened to me, kind of like as the 12th step says, as, uh, as a re- having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps. So for me, it's taken a very, very long time to develop a sense of a spiritual experience. But as I said, for me, it's happened very gradually and very slowly over time. Thank you very much. I will, last thing I'll say is that this is the first time I've ever made it to the 7 a.m. meeting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Suzanne, alcoholic. You know, this year's been kind of tough, but I did notice a couple subtle changes where um, I'm 55 years old. I'm 30. I just turned 32 years sober in August, and I was penniless and homeless. And I'm like, how the hell did that happen? And um, and I was working two full-time jobs and couldn't pay my rent. And I still was like, okay, God, listen. <laughs> Not sure what you're doing. I'm assuming something really bitchin's about to happen, and I'm really going to try not to have a resentment against you. Just hang on a minute. <laughs> the one thing that was subtle was different was I knew I totally wasn't alone. I had no idea what was about to happen next, because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be an old lady under a bridge. Great, thanks. <sighs> but I had friends who took me in. And then what happened was... I was able to notice that my ex wasn't doing well. And then I realized how bad the cancer was back. And then I realized, like, a moment of just absolute clarity. I know exactly where I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to move back in, move in with my ex. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You just have to be kidding. This can't be right. And I'm like, no, it's exactly right. And I told my ex I'm moving in to help you. And she had, her cancer was back. So we're both helping each other, right? Perfection, universal perfection. I have zero resentment. I'm totally happy. She's totally happy. She has like a guest room. Like we don't even hear each other half the time. But we're neither one of us are alone. And I get to help her with her cancer. And the perfection of that the subtlety is that I have zero resentment and I could immediately recognize that that was the perfect choice 
as soon as I saw her and saw what was going on in her home and what was going on with her, I was like, you haven't been telling me this. And, um, and I knew exactly what was supposed to happen. So the, the subtle changes, I'm listening. And I'm never alone. And I always thought I was alone. And it's taken a lot of years of sobriety to get that. I'm never, ever alone. And there is this perfection working in my life, even when it just doesn't seem possible. And um, so that's my little piece today. Is There's this... I hear a lot of people talk about, I'm waiting for God to tell me something. I'm like, you know, I've never believed that. I've always believed that my HP is like right there, right that second, always answering immediately. I'm just the one that doesn't listen. Anyways, thanks. Thanks, Suzanne. Um, that's all the time we have um, this morning. If you didn't get a chance to speak, please talk to someone after the meeting, or you may call someone on our phone and temporary sponsors list in the red folder. Uh, at this time, would any members who are willing to serve as sponsors please raise your hands? We now invite those looking for sponsors to raise their hands. <clears throat> Get them. <laughs> I would like to rewelcome uh, the newcomers. We did not have any today, um, but if you didn't identify, you're, uh, we welcome you, and uh, you're the most important person here. Um, if you're, if you, uh, if you would like a newcomer's packet or like to talk to any one of us, please come up after the meeting. Um, um, are there any AA birthdays? Yes. Uh, Jose. Jose. That was 60 days. Seven months. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? Come on. This month. Yes, in the back. Lily, 18 years. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yes, Suzanne. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. See, Nora. That's what I'm talking about. Showing us how it's done. And even, oh, was there another one? No? Yes, right here, young lady. Christine. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, yesterday I had 30 days. Let's see, um, a, a amazing. <laughs> uh, I would like to uh, thank those people that made this meeting possible. Um, Karen for how it works, Adam for the traditions, and Jess for um, in advance for the promises. Um, Tommy, thank you for setting up. Keith, uh, we had the greeters. Uh, Chuck, Silvio, Ron, and Jess. Um, who else was? Uh, James is our mic runner. Um, am I leaving anyone else out? Okay. I think I got everybody. All right. And thank you for letting me be of service. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and lastly, let's thank Pamela for speaking this morning. Thank you. <clears throat> um, let's see. Boop, 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 boop. Uh, please clean up uh, the space around you and dispose of trash and recyclables and compost in the appropriate containers and return the meeting literature to the front. Finally, as you leave the room, please remember whom you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, let it stay here. Um, now, Jess will read either a vision for you or the promises.